Each Christmas, lots of us like to rewatch the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's directed by Frank Capra and stars Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Lionel Barrymore. The movie is about an angel sent to show a frustrated businessman what his family and town would have been like if he hadn't been there to do the good things that he did. It's a sort of what-if narrative. Well, on this podcast, I want to try something a little like that, and I plan to do a few other episodes like this as well. I'm going to tell you a story which is actually fictional, but it represents a realistic what-if about farming. In particular, a story about a particular kind of farmer and what would happen if she didn't keep up with the pest control challenges on her farm. There can be understandable reasons why that would happen, but sometimes there can be some pretty significant ramifications for those farmers and for their neighbors. I've run these stories by people who are knowledgeable about each particular kind of farming, and they confirm that these are the kinds of things that really could happen. So let's give this, my first attempt at realistic fiction, a try. Janine is an apple grower in eastern Washington state. She tends 150 acres of apple orchard. Now, she grew up on the farm, and initially after college, she wanted to work for a major advertising firm. After about 10 years of that and living in the city, she wanted to come back to the beautiful Yakima River Valley so that she could raise her young family in the country. Her husband had no farming background but loved the setting of the orchard, and he got a good job at the local bank. Now, Janine got more and more involved in the running of the orchard as her dad approached retirement. And one of the projects she focused on was updating the orchard, block by block. The whole apple industry has been shifting away from the classic varieties like Red or Yellow Delicious to a more diverse collection of varieties like Jazz, Fuji, Honeycrisp, Ambrosia. The nature of an apple orchard is also changing. The old style was to grow very large trees spaced about 20 feet apart in the row. These trees wouldn't actually come into bearing for five or six years after planting. And when they did start to bear, the picking crews had to use ladders to get up to a lot of the fruit. The modern style of orchard is to have small trees spaced every 18 inches to 2 feet in the row and trained on a trellis much like you would see for a grape vineyard. These orchards cost a lot more to plant because you need so many more young trees at the beginning, but they start bearing a decent crop in only two to three years, and then they're easier to maintain and harvest without the need to do the slow, sometimes dangerous ladder work. Janine was also able to use her advertising background and marketing skills to sell quite a bit of the crop directly to stores and or customers over in the more urban parts of western Washington state. For a medium-sized orchard operation, that can be a more profitable business, but it definitely takes more time and attention than just selling to one of the large packers, who also do the storage to spread out the availability of apples nearly year-round. Well, one spring, a hailstorm came through around bloom time, and it knocked off most of the flowers on the apple trees in one of the blocks. By chance, it hit one of the last old-style big blocks of trees in Janine's orchard. So Janine and her dad went out to survey the damage and came to the conclusion that there wasn't going to be enough fruit in that block to even justify the expense it would take to tend it through the season. And since the old trees were already on the list for replacement with the trendy variety Ambrosia, 
they decided to more or less abandon the block for the rest of the season and start removing those trees as they had some time. Now, there is unfortunately a troublesome pest of apples called the coddling moth. These moths survive the winter in a cocoon in something like a wood pile or under the bark of a tree or a shrub. They start to come out around bloom time and fly into the orchard. From there, they mate, and the females start laying eggs on the leaves and the young fruit. The caterpillars eat their way into the core of the developing apples, and they generate a lot of frass, which is basically caterpillar poop. Nobody wants to bite into an apple or cut into it and find a wriggling worm or a bunch of frass. My grandpa used to say, if you bite an apple and see a worm, that's okay. If you bite an apple and see half a worm, that's a problem. Well, worm-damaged apples are not just a gross-out thing for consumers. A wormy apple is much more likely to rot because of the fungi or bacteria that get into the site of the damage. So it's really important to keep those apples out of the storage. As they say, one bad apple can spoil a whole bunch. Now, the Osmonds may have claimed that one bad apple don't spoil the whole bunch girl in their 1971 number one hit single. Maybe that's true for love, but for real apples, one bad apple can definitely end up destroying many more. There's also a zero tolerance for any coddling moth in the lucrative export market to Japan, just about the only apple-growing region in the world that doesn't have this pest. Coddling moths can go through two or even three generations in a year, so what might have started out as a small infestation can blow up into a big and damaging moth population. That's why in many apple-growing counties of Washington, homeowners are not allowed to have apples or pear trees in their yards because Homeowners tend not to take care of the moths in their trees, and even one or two heavily infested trees in someone's yard can generate enough moths to seriously damage a nearby commercial orchard. Apple growers and their pest advisors carefully monitor for coddling moths using pheromone traps to figure out when the moths are emerging so they can make timely insecticide applications to head off a growing population. Some of the pesticides they used are synthetic products, but there are also good options that are natural products from a fermentation or even a granulosis virus, which is something that can only infect this moth. Smart growers like Janine and her dad mix and match these good pest control options so the pest does not become resistant to just one of the tools. Well, the growing season after the hail event got really busy, as it always does, particularly because Janine was also running a successful farm stand selling some vegetables that she grew for a season in one of the blocks being prepared for a new planting. There were also the usual problems finding enough labor for some of the many tasks that occur in the orchard. And they just didn't get around to removing that hail-damaged old block during the growing season. And they didn't give it the normal amount of attention or monitoring or spraying. And the small amount of fruit that was left on some of those old trees ended up getting heavily infested with coddling moths. But for a while, no one noticed. To the west of Janine's orchard, there's a large 1,200-acre orchard. Jim, who manages that farm for investors in Seattle, called Janine in late July to say that he was picking up unusually high numbers of coddling moths in his pheromone traps near her property. Janine immediately realized that the source of the problem was probably her hail-hit block. She quickly arranged for it to be sprayed with an insecticide that was potent enough to deal with this hot spot. Actually, the way that the law works in Washington State, if she hadn't been willing to do that, 
Jim could have called in the state authorities who would have done the spray and charged her for it. But farmers tend to like to work these things out more on a good neighbor basis. The law is in place to cover times when some grower isn't able or willing to take care of a pest problem that threatens his neighbor's crops. Jim also had to step up the intensity of his coddling moth program. He wasn't able to get things under control well enough to be able to send the fruit to the Japanese market, but overall his losses weren't too bad, about 5-8% to 8% of the fruit getting rejected for moth damage when it got inspected on the way into the packing shed. Now, that damaged fruit doesn't completely go to waste. Some of the damage is just called a sting, and there isn't actually a worm inside the fruit along with all that poop. That kind of fruit doesn't meet retail standards, but it can be turned into apple juice or applesauce. Unfortunately, Jim makes very little money from the fruit that goes into those uses because those markets have been undercut by imports from places like China. Now, some food companies choose only to use U.S. sources for those apple ingredients, but others are willing to go for the lowest price. That's unfortunate, and it can come with more risk of contaminants like heavy metals. Unfortunately, there was a more expensive impact of letting the coddling moth get out of control in the abandoned hail-damaged block. Both Janine and Jim have around 5 to 10% of their orchards certified as organic. It takes three years to get that status, but there's a substantial price premium for organic, and so it's an attractive option for conventional growers to convert some of their operation to organic. Now, some of the insect control products they use throughout the farm can be used in the organic section, and there is another control strategy they use called pheromone confusion. Basically, the way that male coddling moths find the females for mating is to follow a scent stream from the pheromone that the female makes. There are companies that sell little stations that can be hung up in trees throughout the orchard that emit a synthetic version of the pheromone. And the males get fooled by these sources and follow them, and they're much less likely to find the ladies and mate successfully. The problem is that this pheromone confusion approach only works when the total population of coddling moths is low. That is why most apple growers who do some organic production keep it to less than 10% of their total area and surround it by conventional areas where they can do a great job on moth control. Well, unfortunately, the organic blocks that Janine and Jim grew were close enough to the hailed-out section that it wasn't possible to fully deal with the higher coddling moth damage just with pheromone confusion. They both saw damage levels in the 30-40% range in the organic blocks, which pretty much canceled out any organic price premium they were going to get that year. So Jim has been neighbors with Janine and her folks for a long time, and he fully understood how something like this could happen in the business of running an orchard. There were no lawsuits, but there was a lesson learned for the whole neighborhood of growers. So what if an apple farmer doesn't spend the money and effort to control a key pest, even in a hail-compromised block? Well, lots of yucky apples. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.